This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. The best way to post fake news is for people to watch outlets like MSNBC, where you report real news all the time. I'm Dave Rubin. This is the Rubin Report. It is January 17th, 2023. We are live streaming as always on Rumble and YouTube. If you have not subscribed at rumble.com slash Rubin Report, would you go ahead and do that? Uh, things are looking good across the board on the show. Our numbers have just been phenomenal lately. I think that's a reflection of uh, trying to tell the truth around here and you guys getting more engaged and more involved and sharing the videos and all that good stuff. So we appreciate that. And as always, we do a post-game show where you can correct me, question me, throw thoughts at me, and much more at rubenreport.locals.com. I think today is going to be our biggest show ever. I have more paper than I think I've ever had in my hand right now. Now you may be looking at this going, it's not a lot of paper. And you know, I know these days, if you don't have a lot of something, it's okay automatically, right? Joe Biden, it's only a small amount of documents. This may seem like a small amount of documents to you, but I'd say this is about 15 pages. Normally we do the show in about seven pages. We have a jam packed information laden show using multimedia. I'm talking about video and other such things. And it's dense and I think it's relevant and interesting to everything going on in the world. So I want you to buckle in today. I know that may sound like I'm overstating it. Dave, you're really setting yourself up for failure here by really telling us this is gonna be a big, great show today. But that's how good I feel about this show. Also, Phoenix was a little worried right before we started that the show is so good, it's so edgy, it's so packed with truth that government agents could come in and take us away right after this. So if it's the last show, I also wanna just say, I've enjoyed this. Thank you for watching and you know, good luck with all that. Uh, the theme of the show today is how the left and the globalists and the machine, the matrix, whatever you wanna call it, their influence, which seems like it's everywhere, right? It just feels like it is in every portion of your life, no matter which way you look, locking you down and COVID and injecting you and now coming for gas stoves and they want more of your money and they want you to eat bugs and they don't want you to drive cars, all of that stuff. We are going to lay out the case that it is more of a product of their infrastructure, that they have built a system that makes it seem that many of us are convinced of their ideas as opposed to their ideological persuasion, as opposed to having the right ideas on their side. And those of us that are not NPCs, that are not non-playable characters, those of us with a flicker of thought, those of us who want people to be free and make choices for themselves, we could actually learn a thing or two from looking at them and seeing their tactics. And I think there are three things that we can do. And that's what I'm gonna be laying out in the course of this next hour. So we have to repel their bad ideas, right? That's why we try to expose their bad ideas. You have to be able to look at what they're doing and repel them, right? Really just say, no, 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 no. 
We ain't going for that shit. Uh, we have to replicate some of their infrastructure because you have to give the devil his due. They built institutions that then turned on us, whether they're education institutions or scientific medical institutions, et cetera, et cetera. And then we have to go on the offense because enough of just reacting. That's what we do. We react because most of us have lives and we have families and we're doing other stuff. And then they just keep marching because they are devoted to the endless destruction of all things good. But perhaps it is time for us to go on offense. So that is what we will be laying out today. So let's start what's, with what's going on in a remote village known as Davos, okay? This is where the World Economic Forum, a group of unelected elites from countries all over the world get together with about 5,000 armed security guards. They all fly in on their private planes while they tell you that they're gonna be taking away your modes of travel. And they talk about how they can rejigger the world in the image which they like, which unfortunately is often in conflict with human freedom and flourishing. Uh, but let's get a little bit more from what's going on over at the WEF in Davos from our friends at the Daily Wire. Lawmakers, businesses, business leaders, and academics participating in the World Economic Forum will descend upon the small ski town of Davos, Switzerland this week to discuss a variety of policy proposals that entail greater coordination between government and corporate actors. The organization, which German economist Klaus Schwab has chaired for the past five decades, is a leading proponent of stakeholder capitalism, an approach to investing that says executives must consider the needs of communities and other parties in addition to shareholders. The World Economic Forum is convening during January for the first time since the lockdown-induced recession. This year's conference theme is cooperation in a fragmented world, which involves how we can tackle the numerous and interlinked challenges the world is facing and find solutions through public-private cooperation, according to a press release. Beyond the more than 1,400 business leaders scheduled to attend the conference, executives expected to speak or participate in panel events include Microsoft CEO Satya Nadella, BlackRock CEO Larry Fink, and Moderna CEO Stefan Bansell. Hundreds of world leaders, including German Chancellor Olaf Scholz, European Central Bank President Christine Lagarde, Ukrainian First Lady Olena Zelenska, and Canadian Finance Minister Christian Freeland will also attend the conference. Schwab has garnered worldwide notoriety for suggesting that lockdown-induced recession presents an opportunity for elites to create, craft a great reset of the planet's economic and social systems. The three components of the plan are gov governments guaranteeing fairer outcomes in the marketplace, channeling investments towards equality and sustainability efforts, and using medical technology to address health and social changes. Okay, so I know that was a lot of reading there. I hope you were paying attention. But basically all of the stuff that a couple years ago there were some crazy people on the computer machine talking about these conspiracy theories of a group of elites who get together every year to figure out how governments are going to work together against the needs of the people, but they'll do it in the guise of, you know, being good to everybody. Uh, it all turned out to be true. Okay, it all 
turned out to be true. That is what they do. They do what you could argue is a fascistic tactic. Governments and corporations working together to figure out how they can take more from you and give more to themselves. Do not be under the illusion, my friends, for one moment that these people care about you at all. They will fly on their private planes while they tell you you can't be in your gas car. They will eat their filet mignon, their Wagyu A5 filet mignon while they tell you you have to eat bugs. And they do a whole bunch and they are planning a whole bunch of other weird stuff. We're gonna get to that in the course of this show. But the World Economic Conference, World Economic Forum Conference began in Davos and they brought out Klaus Schwab. If uh, you've seen Klaus Schwab, we've talked about him a bit on the show. Uh, he's the Emperor Palpatine of this operation, okay? This is Shiv Palpatine from planet Naboo. People thought he was a good guy, turned out to be the most evil dude in the galaxy. Uh, he opened the conference and he's a little concerned actually, and this is actually good, okay? So bear with me here. This is actually pretty good. He is concerned that people are saying mean things about the people over in uh, Davos. Take a look. Operation in the fragmented world. At the beginning of this year, we are confronted with unprecedented and multiple challenges. We need to overcome the most critical fragmentation. And the most critical fragmentation is between those who take a constructive attitude and those who are just bystanders, observers, and even go into the negative, critical, and confrontational attitude. So this is good. What's happening right now, because we still have some degree of a free internet, it's probably less a degree of a free internet than we all think, and we all know about the government collusion related to Russia files and COVID and all of those things. But he's opening the conference by saying kind of, hey, we're under attack. People don't seem to really like us. And that really is the truth. You know, I made a, a tweet yesterday. I, I took a look at the World Economic Forum's Twitter account. Their Twitter account has 4.3 million followers. That, that's a pretty significant number of followers. Their average tweet gets about 20 or 30 retweets. Mathematically, I'm not a mathematician. I'm not a statistician, but that's almost impossible. 4.3 million people signed up to watch their stuff and virtually everybody ignores them. I've got like a million two, a million three followers and all my stuff gets in the thousands and I'm obviously shadow banned, right? So it's like, there's proof in the pudding. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system. They also, one of the things you can do on Twitter, and this is a little insider baseball, but these things are important just in the way we communicate these days. Uh, you can actually shut off your comments on Twitter, meaning that if you normally, if I tweet something, I put it out there and then, you know, I get, you know, hundreds, sometimes thousands of people responding to what I say. There's a button you can click or a dial you can slide that actually shuts off the comments. 
they shut off the comments on all of their tweets because every time they tweet something, people were going after them and saying, you're a bunch of evil lizard people and other such factual information. So they are worried that they are getting criticism. They are worried that there are people who are not happy with this idea of a one world government. And this is pretty damn good. They are on their heels a little bit, but who else is there and what else are they talking about? Well, John Kerry is there and you may remember John Kerry. John Kerry failed presidential candidate. And I would say really a, a sham of a human who over the last 10 years or so of his career has basically taken a private plane all over the world while telling us that again, we should not be on these planes. We should barely be on any planes and we should watch out for cars we're driving. And he does this while making millions and millions of dollars. He also married Teresa Heinz Kerry. So he married into big ketchup. Did you guys know that? He married into the big ketchup money. Okay, not Hunt's ketchup. I'm talking about Heinz, how many ingredients? 52, whatever it is, 57. Okay, that's John Kerry's cash cow. Okay, uh, and I'm pretty sure he's injecting it in his face also. Anyway, he goes around the world and he tells governments what they can do and what they can't do and that the United States will foot the bill on climate and all of this stuff. But listen to this speech. It's about 40 seconds of his opening remarks and he really thinks that he is God that he is God hanging out with other gods and that they are here to save the world. And when you stop and think about it, it's pretty extraordinary that we select group of human beings because of whatever touched us at some point in our lives are able to sit in a room and come together and uh, actually talk about saving the planet. I mean, it's so, almost extraterrestrial to think about, quote, saving the planet. And if you said that to most people, most people, they think you're just a crazy tree-hugging, lefty, liberal, you know, do-gooder, whatever. Record, I do think you're a crazy, lefty, tree-hugging, do-good, whatever. I could come up with a couple more adjectives. But do you see these people, these self-righteous, oh, moralist buffoons, Look at us, we were touched by something. I'm pretty sure we know what they're touching, but they were touched by something. And that something gave them extraterrestrial powers to sit in a room with other people and talk about saving the world. They're so great. Oh, I'm busting into my Al Gore accent already because we got an Al Gore video coming up. So Al Gore, you may remember Al Gore also failed presidential candidate uh, who has run around and made millions and millions of dollars making people think that the sky is falling. Uh, Al Gore uh, also gave a talk. Now you're gonna see this video of Al Gore. If you haven't seen Al Gore lately, it, you're, you're gonna think this is a man wearing an Al Gore suit, but we confirm this is actually video of Al Gore. Uh, take a look. Enough already, enough. And I, I don't wanna get, sidetracked onto what needs to happen, but we need to scale up climate finance, but we need desperately to scale down anti-climate finance. And we are still subsidizing the burning of fossil fuels globally at a rate 42 times larger than the subsidies for the shift toward renewables and EVs, uh, <clears throat> et cetera. We need new leadership at the World Bank. We need them to uh, scale up the leverage and vastly increase the amounts that are, are committed. And we need to rein in the anti-climate activities of the fossil industry. Oh, they need to rein in those activities of those of us who want gas stoves. So do you see how these things are all connected? And yes, that actually is Al Gore apparently not wearing a fat suit. That's just what's happened to him. It looks like he's filled with jelly. 
okay? You'd think you'd be cutting down on the eating if you really cared about the environment, right? You'd think you'd be doing that, Al Gore. Uh, Al Gore, by the way, if you want to talk about grifters and charlatans, please Google this. Al Gore, when he left the White House as Bill Clinton's VP, he started a cable channel called Current TV that some of you may remember. It was a complete failure of a cable channel. It was, it was gonna be like a, a lefty socialist sort of Bernie Sanders, new media uh, cable news channel, like to compete with CNN and MSNBC and Fox, et cetera. Um, using all of his connections as vice president, he was able to get on all the cable channels. So you could get on Comcast, you could get on DirecTV, et cetera, et cetera. That's the hard part of building a cable channel, right? Because you have to have all of the connections. So he leveraged his connections as vice president to get on all the cable channels. He creates a failure of a network. The network never made money. It, it, the programming was awful. Nobody was watching. Then, you know what he did, Al Gore? Google this, please Google this. He sold current TV, which was worth nothing, except that it had access to the cable channels. It had nothing that anyone was buying. Nobody was buying the programming. Nobody was buying any of the stuff that they had created. He sold it for $500 million to Qatar. Yeah, he sold it to Al Jazeera, which is obviously state-sponsored media from Qatar. Qatar, if I'm not mistaken, is the number two exporter of... Um, Fossil fuels. <laughs> How bizarre that Al Gore did that. By the way, Glenn Beck, this was at the beginning of the Blaze, Glenn Beck tried to buy current TV. He wanted to get Blaze on all of those channels. Al Gore said no to Glenn Beck because he's a mean, scary capitalist and sold it to the number two exporter of fossil fuels, Qatar, in the world. So Al Gore, fat suit, jelly, Al Gore is not a good man. Speaking of not a good man, here is one of the heroes of the World Economic Forum. If you've got Klaus Schwab as Palpatine, this guy I would say is more of a, he's not a Darth Vader. What would he be here, this Hariri? He looks, maybe sort of a Boba Fett. Yeah, there's a little bit of a, of a bounty hunter situation with this guy. So this is Yuval Noah Harai, or Hariri, uh, and he is very interested in the way humans behave and how we can change uh, how we behave and how we think and how we learn and government must be in charge of all of those things. Uh, maybe the most important quality to survive and flourish in the 21st century is to have mental flexibility. Not just to keep learning and changing again and again, also to keep letting go. As virtual reality improves, and you know, with all the talk of the metaverse and so forth that we'll discuss later on, Increasingly, it's likely that there will be many more activities shifting from the physical, biological world that we know into a new reality, a virtual reality, which has different physical and biological laws. Even the laws of physics there are different. So whether you want to interact socially there, or maybe you have a job in virtual reality in the metaverse, or maybe you design, you, you, you have a new job designing fashion, designing shirts for virtual reality because people want to look good there. You need to forget how physics and light mm. and gravity works here. We can't do it alone. Like placing Humans all- can't do it alone or individuals can't do it alone? Individuals can't do it alone. Um, it's too much for an individual to do just by themselves. Uh, will probably have, uh, uh, will require 
organizations, governments to step in to make sure that people are not left behind. You know, just retraining people. We will have to, to see more government support. I really hope you guys were following that because this is seriously twisted, evil stuff. What he is talking about there is perhaps an inevitability that we will all end up in this digital world in the future. That might be the part of humanity, the stage of humanity that we're at. I, I will grant him that. We, the, the, the entropy of what's going on in the digital world it, and the push towards that is so powerful that he might be right we all end up there. So what is there And when we talk about the metaverse? For mo many of you probably saw the movie Ready Player One. It was a great book and then it was a movie by Steven Spielberg about uh, maybe 10 years ago or so. You absolutely, absolutely should see it if you have not seen it. But this idea, this is what Mark Zuckerberg and the rest of these technocrats have been pushing on us, that we are going to wear you know, the Oculus, you're going to wear this device over your eyes and you will live in essence. This is idiocracy. You will live in a digital universe where somehow your body will survive. I mean, this is also the matrix. The matrix, the human body was the battery for the digital world. You still needed the battery, right? Watch the matrix if you haven't seen it again. That's when Neo's wake up is realizing that he's just the battery. Humans are just the battery for the digital thing. These guys want us all to live in the metaverse. What they want is us to be wearing this thing somehow we'll be fed so the battery will continue, right? We'll eat our bug goo or whatever it is, but we will barely live here. Right? We will barely live in, in the reality of reality that humans have been living in for a long time. Now, why would they want us in the metaverse all the time? And in the metaverse, if you watch Ready Player One or if you just, just think about it, in the metaverse, you can be whatever you want. You can be a giant monster. You can be a rich athlete. You can be a porn star. You can be whatever you want and you can constantly be changing. And that's why he's saying the laws of physics don't matter in the metaverse because they're going to be able to constantly be rewriting reality and, and anything that's imaginable will be happening there. Look, I'm a sci-fi guy. There is something cool about all of that. But the real reason they want you there is what he said at the end, and that they're gonna have to control you. We're gonna have to control, we're gonna have to work with governments to make sure people are gonna have to make that shift to this thing. What if you don't wanna make the shift to this thing? What if you like your family and you don't wanna dress up like an ogre in a virtual land, right? And dance with a, a four-eyed robot. What if you're just old school? Why would they wanna push you there? Well, do you think maybe they'd wanna push you there because they would basically control every facet of your mind, right? They would control what you spend and when you spend it. And oh, you said some bad thing about the WEF? I guess we're gonna have to freeze their bank account. Do you see how this is all linked to what's been going on in the world? Do I seem like a crazy conspiracy theorist? Or are they telling us they are literally telling us the plan right in front of ourselves. So, okay, we got all that. So you can see it, this left-wing globalist. And the reason I call it left-wing is because it's centralized power, right? It's top-down power. I like bottom-up power, right? I like on the ground, you make decisions for yourself and then have loose structures above us so that you can live freely. That would be better to me. They like central power, tell you what to do. You're gonna have to live in the metaverse. And if you don't, we'll probably call you a white supremacist and a bunch more. So what else are they planning? Because they're planning all sorts of economic things. They're planning, you know, the things that you're gonna have to strap on your head and a whole bunch more. Well, obviously a lot of this is going to be related to medicine and pharma.
I don't know if you remember, but they also put this COVID hoax on us over the last couple of years and got people to do all sorts of crazy things. So here is a video produced by the World Economic Forum. Uh, and then you'll see a professor talking about it where they're talking about how mRNA vaccines will give the ability for them to write a new code for life. This, my friends, is bananas. Speaking, we're talking about improving biology and redesigning organisms for beneficial purposes. It's going to allow us to not just edit genomes, but also, uh, and importantly, write a new code for life. We'll have right level permissions. We already started to see some of that this year. COVID-19 vaccines, they make use of engineered code in the form of messenger RNA. What's on the horizon are diminished reality glasses that look very much like what I'm wearing um, that would allow you to remove things from your point of view, from your view, whether that's garbage uh, or other people. And dystopia now, okay? The thing about being in dystopia, if you watch any dystopia movie, is the people don't realize they're in dystopia till the end. Then they have to blow up a whole lot of stuff. I'm talking about this stuff now so we don't have to blow up a whole bunch of stuff, right? Uh, okay, so what they want to do here, and you can now see, because again, they're telling us this was all related to COVID. Get a whole bunch of people, literally hundreds of millions of people all over the world to inject themselves with our experimental mRNA vaccine, which then we can use some of the technology of that to rewrite their gene sequencing to ch to literally change the genes in people. And then what else can you do? Oh, and then she talked about diminished reality glasses, which is obviously connected to the, to the metaverse. So you're going to put on these glasses and oh, if you don't like that person, you're not going to see them. Well, I'm pretty sure you're still going to feel it when they punch you in the face, when you walk right. Oh, you don't like seeing garbage. You're not going to see garbage. This is Brave New World. Read the book. I remember read, I read Brave New World. I was in sixth grade. Did you ever read Brave New World? Yeah, I mean, ah, uh, it's happening, man. It's happening right now. So what else are they doing related to our bodies? I always thought it was my body, my choice, but <laughs> no. Uh, here is video. This is from back in September uh, where the World Economic Forum had another conference. Uh, this is uh, Albert Borla. He's the Pfizer CEO. This guy should absolutely be in jail. He is a criminal and an evil MFer uh, talking about how we're going to swallow microchips uh, with technology in them, and uh, somehow that's going to be good for, I guess, his bottom line. Even if you make the greatest drug or the greatest wearable, there's no guarantee that the patient is going to take the drug or <coughs> wear the device. So how are you thinking about technology to engage the patient? Yeah. Again, maybe I will use an example. I think uh, it's fascinating what's happening in this field right now. I mean, FDA approved the first uh, electronic pill, if I can call it like that. So it is a basically biological chip that it is in the tablet. And once you take the tablet and dissolves into your stomach, sends a signal that you took the tablet. So imagine the applications of that, the compliance, uh, the insurance companies to know that the medicines that patients should take, they do. So we'll just swallow a pill with some electric stuff in there and that'll make sure we behave the way we want because, you know, you swallow that thing, 
And uh, maybe you can get a boner, maybe not. Maybe you need another thing for that. Maybe your, uh, your eyeballs dry up. Uh, maybe uh, you get the restless leg syndrome, the, the Jimmy hips. God, they're evil. But all right, let's just say, Dave, you're being a little alarmist. Oral is a nice man. Pfizer is a good company. These people just want to help us. Obviously, they have a great track record when it comes to vaccinating people and some of the other things they've done. I mean, show us a video where what they've done works because don't be so negative. Stop being a negative Nelly. Today, Pfizer reported its vaccine for kids 5 to 11 was more than 90% effective in preventing symptomatic COVID in clinical trials. Overwhelmingly voted in favor of recommending the vaccine, which Pfizer says is 91% effective at preventing severe infection. We have thoroughly reviewed all of the available safety, immunogenicity, and efficacy data before recommending this vaccine for your child. Just minutes after the CDC approved the Pfizer children's vaccine last night, kids were rolling up their sleeves. I would not be concerned because this has shown now over a considerable period of time to be a highly effective and safe vaccine. We want to protect the children. For parents of young children, unsettling news. New data from New York State shows the only COVID vaccine children 5 to 11 can take, made by Pfizer, offers almost no protection against infection. The vaccine's effectiveness in that age group dropped from 68 percent in mid-December to just 12 percent by the end of January. Just two weeks ago, Pfizer said it was postponing seeking FDA authorization for a vaccine for kids six months to four years old, after trials showed it didn't work well. Now, today's news about the vaccine for 5 to 11-year-olds not being as effective. Pfizer says it's now evaluating a third dose for children 5 to 11 years old, and vaccine makers are already developing new formulas. Ah, you see what I did, people? That was the old bait and switch. You saw what I did. I, I thought I was tipping it off with my rather sarcastic intro to it. I was telling you that he was. we were going to show you a video of him doing good stuff, and it all turned out to be evil and rates of heart issues and all of the stuff. So why? It's not only that none of these people have been fired. Borla should be, should be shamed. He should be hiding somewhere in Argentina like a Nazi in 1947, right? But instead, he's still in charge of stuff. Walensky, Fauci, these people should be shamed and never seen in civil society again. But instead, they are plotting the future. They are plotting their next moves. And speaking of next moves, these things just seem to come. And we don't know what to do. That's what I'm saying. We're always reacting to them, right? Because we're trying to live our lives. And then every day you wake up and you're like, oh my God, now boys are girls. Now racism is cool again. Like it just never stops. And, and it's hitting everything. So we talked about it related to medicine and governments and technology. Uh, but the other way that they leak all of this stuff in, and this is probably the most pernicious way, is through entertainment, is through culture. That's why politics, as Andrew Breitbart said, is downstream from culture. You capture people's imaginations first through media and movies and television and video games and everything else. And then the, the political stuff is just sort of easy to get into their system because you've softened them up. So you may have seen this video. This is really nuts. Uh, over the weekend was Miss Universe, okay? I don't really care for these things very much, but uh, they had the Miss Universe pageant. Miss Universe's new owner is a dude. The only thing is he's a dude who dresses up like a chick and has boobs and wears lipstick. But the person that I'm about to show you is Miss Universe's new owner. 
And again, this is a dude dressed up as a chick, sort of like a Mrs. Doubtfire situation. Enjoy. The Miss Universe organization. From now on, it's gonna be ran by women, owned by trans women, for all women. For all women, I am a robot. I am a dude chick robot. I am a woman. Feminism for everyone, even though I have a wang. Lordy, lordy, lordy. But it just keeps coming. And the, you can see how these things are all connected, right? The gender stuff, like it's all just gross. What, how does that dude, and then the women, we could have showed you a much more extended version of it. All the she's going, and the future is for women. Women will be in charge, even though she's not a woman. And then all the women stand up. Oh my God, that's a woman, I guess, or something. But let's get to some more examples of the World Economic Forum influencing our institutions. What's happening over in the global energy sector? Well, we talked about Al Gore before, uh, but here's a wild one. Here is a Scottish member of parliament talking about how the era of private car use is over. On transport, our second strategic transport projects review published just two weeks ago confirms that the era of catering for unconstrained growth in private car use is well and truly over. The review follows the sustainable, the sustainable investment hierarchy, which aims to reduce the need to travel unsustainably and prioritizes making best use of enhancing existing infrastructure before investing in new capacity. It's worldwide, guys. It is worldwide. It has infected governments everywhere. And just remember, that guy right there, the people at the World Economic Forum, they will never abide by the rules that they are going to set around you. They will drive in their luxury vehicles. They will fly in their private planes, and they will make sure you can do no such thing. They will have limits around you that they will not put around themselves. Again, this is dystopia. I, I think I watched one of the Hunger Game movies, but isn't this kind of like a Hunger Game situation? They live one way, everyone else lives another way. We're sort of in that. We're sort of in something like that. Uh, and what's happening right here? So we can move from, uh, from Scotland, we can move right over here. And what's happening in the United States? Well, it's just suddenly out of nowhere, Everyone on the media started talking about how we have to get rid of gas stoves. And then what happens, because you know the way the media protects all of the bad ideas of the globalists and the left, then they, sh they uh, put out people like Joe Scarborough. Joe Scarborough, Scarborough, who will always take every position on everything. We've shown many videos of that in the past. And what's he mocking? Is he mocking the people that are coming after your gas stove, the people who want to cook the way we've cooked for a long time and you have a right to use gas and that these idiots think that they can uh, somehow make as, they, they don't even know where electricity comes from. It's all so stupid. But here's Joe, Joe Scarborough, instead of defending individual rights, instead of defending the autonomy of the United States and our ability to cook as we please, uh, he's upset with the Republicans who are making a big deal about it. <laughs> Oh my God. Oh my God. Oh my God. This is, this is, this is an issue that, that you, 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 you look and you want to see how politics gets crazy. You get, one side gets like a small kernel of, of something. Half a kernel. And they put it in the ground and they like water it, water it, try to get it to grow. And, and so this gas stove thing. 
You get some bureaucrat saying something that has no power, and then suddenly you have Ron DeSantis. I'm going to protect your gas. Everybody's going to be talking about gas stoves, gas. It's Yeah, you smug douche. Ron DeSantis is going to protect our gas stoves. He's already uh, talked about how we're going to keep that shit going right here in Florida. Joe Scarborough is worth $25 million. I, I don't begrudge anyone making money. I really do not. I don't like when charlatans and obvious grifters um, make a lot of money, but I don't begrudge him the 25 million. And that's his wife, by the way. He started banging his co-host a couple of years ago and then they got married to their credit. Uh, that's Mika Brzezinski and she's worth about 20 million. So they're worth about 50 million together. If you think for one second that they are gonna give up their gas stove and they are gonna give up their cars or whatever else, like you're an NPC, but I know you don't think that because you're watching this show. But these people, you see how they're aiming the wrong way. People want to come for more of your freedoms. They want to come for more of your stuff. And they're corporate. He is a corporate hack. His job is to mock the people who will defend the freedoms. That's what it is. If, if, if they're coming for a freedom, whether it's the Second Amendment, the First Amendment, whether they're coming for your ability to cook on a gas stove, he will always mock the people defending the freedoms. Uh, but let's continue. Uh, because all of this stuff, now we've talked about sort of it at an energy front, we've talked about it at a at a gender front with Miss Universe. Uh, but of course, we have to talk about it from a racial front because, uh, you know, racism is everywhere and we must stop racism. Racism is very, very bad. Actually, racism is bad. Um, the thing is that they're the racists. Well, you know what's going on over in San Francisco, which is a leftist, and I think you could argue globalist. It is, you, it is a city that is a centralized, one-party city that has all the power to a couple people, the, buffoonish governor of San Francisco, uh, uh, the buffoonish mayor of San Francisco, and then the clownish governor of California. Uh, well, you know what's going on in San Francisco? Besides all the drugs, I know you know about the drugs, besides all the homelessness, the general state of decay, uh, the impending zombie apocalypse, and all that, I know you know about all that stuff. Uh, they're proposing, <laughs> let's show the headline, this is a good one. San Francisco's reparations committee proposes $5 million to each black longtime resident and total debt forgiveness. I would just like to say that I now identify as a black chick from San Francisco, a longtime black chick from San Francisco, okay? I am Shaniqua from San Francisco. I've lived in, uh, what, what part of this town? I don't know much about San Francisco. I lived in the, uh, up there in the hill there, near the, near, near, I live next door to the Full House house, okay? I was Shaniqua next, no, no, or I was Urkel. I'm Urkel's aunt. And, uh, cause they lived in San Francisco too, right? I think, did they live in San Francisco? I don't know what the hell. You see how stupid this all is. Anyway, so that's what San Francisco wants to do. A city that is in utter disrepair, a city run by buffoons with all of the ideas we've been talking about here and just endless progressive nonsense. Now they want to give $5 million. How are you going to feel? First off, they don't have any money, right? California doesn't have any extra money. All of the people that they want to tax to uh, give the money to the longtime black people that are there, the $5 million and the debt forgiveness, they've all left. I know one guy there with some cash. He has a lot of cash, but he's got to get out soon. If you're watching, you know who you are. We'd love to have you here in Florida. Okay, guys, let's shift to the positive part about all this. The left-wing actors and, and these lunatics who are peddling the World Economic Forum agenda, they are really stupid. 
and, and I, re- I mean that, they're, they're stupid and they have stupid ideas. Al Gore is not a smart person, he is a charlatan. Uh, John Kerry is not a smart person, he is a, a charlatan. These people have somehow attained power. That, I grant them. And there, there is value in that. They have, they have garnered an awful lot of power by manipulating information so that stupid people think they're smart but they're not smart. And another guy that's not smart is the guy running the show right here. The guy who is being shown the door even though he doesn't know it. Of course, you know who I'm talking about, Joe Biden. Uh, Joe Biden, uh, yesterday of course was MLK Day. Joe Biden gave a couple speeches and there were so many ridiculous things that he said. We had to cut a whole bunch of them because it was just like an endless calvacade of insanity from Joe Biden yesterday. Here he is basically saying that car insurance companies are racist. Give everybody a fair shot that lives there. The same thing. And by the way, if you live in one of those neighborhoods and you have the same exact car I have in the other neighborhood, you pay more for your insurance than that side. No basis for it. None at all other than you're black and I'm white. Okay, so his argument is that Geico, progressive, well, progressive is probably racist. <laughs> Uh, and the rest of these car insurance companies that when you, when they fill out a form, you fill out the form and I I never put my race on anything when I go to the doctor or anything else. It is seemingly irrelevant when I am going to the dermatologist, what race I am. Okay. I don't put any of that stuff, but their, his argument is that somehow car insurance companies, they look at black people and they go, you black, you're going to pay more in car insurance. It's not true. Now what he, if he was smart, and Joe Biden is not smart. What he might want to address is that when they're, when companies are looking into insurance, say house insurance, home insurance, right? That you're gonna look at the area that a certain group of people live in. And he, he, Biden's, I'm gonna try to make Biden's argument for him. His argument would be that there is more crime in black communities, so insurance companies then have to charge more for insurance because they know there's gonna be more home break-ins, something like that. Now that would make sense. An insurance company, they have people called actuaries. And what an actuary does is check risk, whether it's on home insurance or life insurance, et cetera, et cetera. They have to look at the risk. And then they can say, oh, this is a very high risk person or a high risk area. We have to charge them more of a premium so that in case the house is broken into or the guy jumps off a cliff because he's a, a thrill seeker, We're not getting screwed when we're doing the payouts. That's how this whole thing works. Now, Biden could make some argument about that, that because there is more crime, perhaps, in certain black communities, that his connection then is it's about the color of the skin. But here's the flaw in the argument. Okay, and I think I made his argument way better than he made it himself. The flaw in the argument is if you want to discuss why perhaps there is more crime in the inner city where there are more black people, You need only look at the policies of the Democrats for the past 50 years. You only have to look at the welfare state and you only have to look at the handouts and you only have to look at the intergenerational apartment buildings that people are stuck in because of subsidized housing that were all policies of the Democrats that then cause people to not go out there and get get better jobs and, and fight for their whatever it is that they can get on this earth. So I know Biden can't make that argument. If you want more on that argument, might I recommend uh, Thomas Sowell or Larry Elder? Uh, that would be a pretty good start. Um, here's Biden in July of 2021. It's hard to remember back a year and a half ago, uh, basically saying that Facebook was killing people. And the, way, the reason I'm linking all of these things together is to show that these people are not bright. And it's not just that they're not bright. They have lied all along. And then what happens is they get everything wrong 
And then finally, reality catches up to them and then they have to lie about it. So here's Biden, July of 21, Facebook's killing people because, you know, Facebook is spreading misinformation about the vaccines. What's your message to platforms like Facebook? They're killing people. I mean, it really, look, the only pandemic we have is among the unvaccinated. And and they're they're killing people. All right, so to be clear, it was never a pandemic of the unvaccinated. We now know that vaccinated people are getting COVID at higher rates than unvaccinated people. On top of the fact that the vaccines don't work, you can get and transmit COVID, but somehow Facebook was killing people, right? So do you see the way they use fear and utter incompetence, right? So I don't know if it was that he was just trying to scare the hell out of everybody, or he just doesn't know what the hell he's talking about, or he is also just a stooge of the machine that's above all of us. And what did the machine want? The machine wanted everybody vaxxed. And you know why the machine wanted everybody vaxxed? Because they were testing out that mRNA myth Uh, stuff, which just go back to the beginning of this video, they have all sorts of other plans for it so that they can edit your genes and a whole bunch more. But how about a little more proof? Man, we nailed it today. How about a little more proof that they get everything wrong and then when reality smacks them in the face, then they start freaking out. Here is New York City Mayor Eric Adams. And you may remember Eric Adams is the guy who replaced true communist nutbag Bill de Blasio, who absolutely ruined New York City, the greatest city in the history of the world, okay? If you can make it there, you can make it anywhere, although now you just wanna get the hell out of there. Uh, He took over for him and people said, well, you know, he is a Democrat, but he's not a crazy lunatic. Well, Eric Adams then said, we are a sanctuary city. So all sorts of people started coming from all parts of the world. They would get through our porous border. They'd show up in New York City and they have turned New York City into a disgusting, crime-infested, pot-smelling, sewage-filled crap factory. I did that with no teleprompter, okay, people? This is all just coming out of my brain. Well, then what happens? It happens for long enough. All your uh, productive people, they start leaving your city. Your city's a dump. And then you start realizing that uh, we can't handle all of these people in our sanctuary city, and we don't want them anymore. Eric Adams. Our cities are being undermined, and we don't deserve this. Migrants don't deserve this. And the people who live in the cities don't deserve this. We expect more from our national leaders to address this issue in a real way. We learned today was very informative. That's why it was important to come here that there are websites that are advertising that New York City basically streets are paid with gold, that there's automatic employment, that you're automatically going to be living in a, in a hotel. There's a conversation among those who are asylum and uh, migrant asylum seekers and migrants who are get, given the false impression that if you come to New York City, everything is fine. Eric, Eric, you were the one that called for New York City to be a sanctuary city. You were the one that said, hey, come here. You were the one that actually tried to get some of the illegal immigrants to vote in elections, which would have been doubly illegal. Uh, You also support the president of the United States and the Democrat party who are in charge of the border. They're the ones in charge right now. But what happens? All of your stupid lefty ideas come to your door, 
all of the good people leave your city, your city crumbles, and now it's a problem. Now it is a problem. So how is it, guys, that they are able to get everything wrong always, cause a whole bunch of us to constantly have to react to their BS, and then only when it fully comes to their doorstep, like it's happening to Eric Adams now, might he wake up and go, oh, it is a problem, we should have a border, and being a sanctuary city actually makes no sense. And the lefty dingbats in Martha's Vineyard who are all for no human is illegal, but when three people or 30 people show up on Martha's Vineyard, help us, help us, we're not a border town, we don't have that kind of infrastructure. Well, you know what, it's because of the idea infrastructure, basically, that these clowns have bought, because they have the infrastructure, they really do. So, let's talk about that just a bit. Uh, Matt Gates, Congressman Matt Gates, was on Tim Pool's podcast a couple days ago, uh, and he talked a little bit about why the machine seems to churn out so many bad people. Why is it that people come from whatever district they come from, from all over the country, they come to DC, and why does everything always seem worse after? Why do these people say one thing on the way in, and then once they get here, seem to operate a completely different way? Uh, he says a lot of it has to do with Barack Obama and how the state and the deep state just grew under Obama. Take a look. And it really started with a lot of the Obama people. Like, do you say what you will about Obama? The guy was good at vertically integrating personnel in a, in a lot of these agencies where, where the bureaucracy would bend to their will. Like, if there's a fair critique of Trump, it's that, you know, he was this great visionary, but oftentimes the people that were two, three, four layers down were working against him. And he didn't roll into the presidency with this terrific Rolodex of people that could go and operate at that level. Whereas, you know, Schiff, Obama, like these, these people were good at getting people in place to drive action. And we should learn from that. That's super interesting. So here you have a, a full-on Trump guy saying, you gotta give Obama credit. I don't like what he did, but he was able to do it. He staffed this machine with all of the people who were gonna get his stuff done, right? They were gonna accomplish his goals. And then he's also critiquing his guy, right? He's, he's as Trump as Trump can be, right? Like he's Trump town, but he's saying Trump, actually he had the right ideas, but he did not know how to do that. That is a legit, Criticism. It's a criticism that other people have levied as well, but it's interesting hearing it from a full-on Trump guy. Uh, Gates continued, and he started talking about how the infrastructure itself of D.C., it advances the people, the actors, who share that same left-wing ideology, that same centralization of power. Uh, well, take a look. They're part of the prevailing way of thinking, the national security state, the neoconservative worldview. There's an entire infrastructure there to like build out your career. There are endowed professor professorships. There are think tanks that are ready to give you six-figure jobs. There's a like career progression of jobs on the Hill. But if you think differently, you're kind of hunted in a lot, you know, you're hunted, canceled. They do everything to compromise you. And if that doesn't work, they try to destroy you. I want to blow your mind. So Matt Gates is considered by mainstream, he is considered far right, right? He's considered far right. Do you remember my interview way back when? We've played this clip a couple times and, and he's talked about it in many other interviews. My interview from a couple of years ago with Thomas Sowell. Thomas Sowell talked about how he was a Marxist and a socialist. And when he got his first government job right out of school, he went in and he started looking at the government programs and saying, Boy, you know, we're looking at these government programs, we're looking at the money we put into these things, and we're looking at the output, 
And it turns out these government programs don't work. And he brought that information. This is a very famous story. He brought that information to the higher ups at the government. And he said, guys, you know, we put all these money into these communities and we're not helping anybody. Actually, uh, it's quite the reverse. And they basically said, uh, shut up. That's pretty much what they said. And that was one of, as Thomas Sowell describes himself, his key moments to waking up to what the government actually is, what the federal government actually is. It does not want to solve problems. It wants to keep expanding like a cancer. It wants to keep replicating and continuing and going and going and going. So it's interesting that Gates and Sowell are actually hitting on the same thing, that this machine is not in the business of fixing things. Uh, it is in the business of making sure that it protects itself. Uh, he continued to talk about it here. I sort of referenced this before, uh, about what happens to these guys, you know, because this happens every now and again, every couple of years, you'll find some like great congressman kind of saying all the right things, usually somewhere in the middle of the country, but then they get to DC and it seems like they can't get anything done. Uh, and Gates argues there's actually a technical infrastructure reason related to that. I think that, like the most corrupt like foray into this is like freshman orientation. Cause like you show up here and I mean, you know, imagine showing up from Northwest Arkansas from like, you know, Southern Mississippi and you see the architecture of DC. They take you out to like the finest steakhouse, the best wine you've ever had. And co-located at your table are the lobbyists for the major special interests for the committees that you're interested that you want to wow. serve on. So like I get here and they're like, oh, Gates, you want to be on the Armed Services Committee. Have you met these defense contractors? <laughs> these are the key lobbyists that round up the defense money. And they put you with them from the very beginning. And you sort of get the joke that if you give your vote card to the leadership and your calendar to the lobby corps, you just kind of get enveloped into a system that's there to nurture you and protect you and keep you out of harm's way. And all it costs you is your own belief set. And I don't think that's compromise so much as selling out. Now, you know, that, so that is like step one. And that catches a, a whole lot of the people who get here. And then beyond that, if you kind of resist that system, then they do try to extort you, uh, engage in anything they can do to compromise you, cancel you, find some joke that you liked on Instagram years ago that like doesn't fit with the mores of this time, find some email that you were on like the forward chain of that's like some basis to say that you're a white supremacist. Kind of sounds right, doesn't it? Right? Like that should be thought of as, or mainstream would spin it, that that's conspiracy stuff. But it kind of seems right. You know, even if you were to look at the way that the mainstream media treats Matt Gates, that he's some kind of white supremacist and he's some kind of insurrectionist and all of that stuff. Um, but actually the system is in place for you to get to DC and be having dinner at Peter Luger, well, Peter Luger's in Brooklyn, but have dinner at uh, Morton Steakhouse, you know, getting a real nice filet on the bone with the lobbyists that you're supposed to be ignoring actually, if you cared about the interests of the people. So this is how the system works. But you might be saying, Dave, this couldn't be happening for so long, right? I mean, this isn't something that the government's been doing for quite some time. Uh, well, we went into the archives and yesterday was MLK day and uh, Martin Luther King, pretty good dude, right? I'd say pretty good track record, liked by a lot of people. Uh, did you know that it is a fact that the FBI admitted to lying about MLK being a communist so that they could spy on him? Did you know that? It's true, videotape. And their activity to go after Dr. King didn't even cease when he died. 
because as Congress began to consider the question of whether or not Dr. King's birthday should be named and made a national holiday, uh, the Bureau developed plans to call in friendly congressmen for off-the-record briefings concerning King in the hopes that those congressmen could keep any such bill from being reported out of committee. A report was written uh, for the director uh, by his chief intelligence officer reporting that the Communist Party in fact for 40 years had been trying to control the Negro movement uh, and that it had always failed and that its efforts in connection with the March on Washington were infinitesimal. This was not accepted uh, by the director of the FBI. He found that thinking wrong, unacceptable, and said that it must be changed, and it was changed. Uh, and then we find paper coming in in which the lower level people in the FBI apologize for having misunderstood matters, and on they go uh, with this effort to discredit and start, they do, the bugs uh, on Dr. King. Well, that's pretty interesting that the FBI was involved in discrediting the greatest civil rights leader of our time, right? Uh, if you're wondering, the church committee, so that was part of the church committee hearing, and they were showing that on C-SPAN as part of the 45th, uh, sorry, it was the 40th anniversary of the church committee. The church committee was a U.S. Senate select committee in 1975 that investigated abuses by the CIA, the National Security Agency, the Federal Bureau of Investigation, the FBI, and the IRS. Doesn't it kind of seem like we could use another church committee right now, right? Like imagine if the new congressional Republicans who, as I've been saying, like they're showing some balls right now, imagine if they come in and said, hey, what has happened here related to COVID? What has happened here related to this Russia hoax? What has happened here related to trampling on the First Amendment because of the collusion between big tech and government? Uh, what has happened here between potentially uh, FBI and CIA involvement in January 6th. Like there's so much stuff. And the reason that we probably need something like the church committee right now is until someone is fired for some of this, until the executives stop getting bigger bonuses and golden parachutes and moving on up and the people who screwed over everybody they should not be then at the World Economic Forum to figure out what the future things they can screw us up on. So we could use something like the church committee these days. Let's just show you a little bit more on this because this is wild. Did you know that the FBI actually tried to get Martin Luther King Jr. to kill himself? Yes, they did. It's fact. Uh, the Bureau went so far as to mail anonymous letters to Dr. King and his wife, which were mailed shortly before he was awarded the Nobel Peace Prize uh, and finishes with this suggestion. King, there is only one thing left for you to do. You know what it is. You have just 34 days in which to do it. This exact number has been selected for a specific reason. It has definite practical significance. It was 34 days before the award. You are done. Uh, if I can interrupt, that was taken by Dr. King to mean a suggestion for suicide, was it not? That's our understanding. The document which was found is a draft of the letter which was the anonymous letter which was actually sent. Is there any dispute that the letter did in fact come from the FBI? Uh, we've heard no dispute of that. 
So the FBI wrote an anonymous letter to Martin Luther King to scare him into committing suicide. We had a commission to deal with some of those things. And maybe, I'm actually, I'm curious, we need to do a show, Phoenix, let's do a show, like a real show on the church commission and, and all of the fallout post that. It would be really fascinating to know. But do you see what I'm trying to show you here? That there are times when, when things get exposed and things hopefully change a little bit. Maybe they didn't change enough and that led us to this, where we're at 40 some odd years later. Uh, but there are moments when good people get involved. And one of the things that I am bullish on, that I am hopeful for, is that the Republicans have this little sliver to be more transparent, to look into the right things. They're looking into China collusion. They're looking into big tech collusion. These things are happening right now. Maybe they will fail us, but, but maybe there's a chance. But the only reason they'll, they'll do it is if we force them to do it, if we, if we show them that, hey, if you guys act bravely and do the right thing, we'll support you. The best example of that is Ron DeSantis in Florida. Obviously, he started doing the right thing. People started backing him up. He wins by the craziest landslide, now has super majorities here in Florida, and Florida is free and flourishing. But I think we can export that. So now I wanna show you, this is uh, Matt Gates one more time. Uh, talking on CNN uh, with, uh, what's Smirconish's first name? I forgot. With this Smirconish guy uh, about why they should have more cameras in Congress, that we should have more transparency. And by the way, as we played a video last week, Kevin McCarthy, the new leader of the House, uh, has said that they are going to open up, they are going to open up the halls of Congress so that people can actually watch the debates. So there are good things happening. Take a look me that without C-SPAN cameras, we would not have seen you nearly attacked by Mike Rogers. Do you think that incident is an example of why some of your colleagues, they don't want full camera access? No, I think that the reason people have opposed our effort to democratize viewing of the House floors, because in many of the debates, no one's present and they want to maintain the fiction that that's actual legislating. And whenever there is sharp disagreement or discord or fiery debate on the floor or in committee, the camera always catches those moments. But there are also moments of great interpersonal warmth and collaboration and the forming of alliances that you might not normally see, whether it's myself talking to Ilhan Omar about war powers or Pramila Jayapal about big tech regulation or discussing floor strategy with AOC. I think the American people would be able to humanize Congress more if they saw more of our human interactions and not just the theater that's on display during much of the debate. Right, so good things happening here. And again, this is exactly what Kevin McCarthy has said he is going to do. Actually, one of the members in our locals community said, why don't we as a community take a trip to D.C. and we'll go. We'll go to a congressional hearing together and then we'll go to lunch and a whole bunch more. So we are absolutely going to do that. And I'll reach out to some of these guys. Maybe we can get a sit down, a few minutes, a cup of coffee with McCarthy or Gates or, or any of these people. And let, let's have the people start engaging the politicians again instead of doing what they've been doing, which was ramped up severely by COVID, where they don't even have to show up in D.C. They can just call in or text in their vote or whatever it might be. So, okay, let's get to a little bit more on the action part. So part of the action is having a bit of transparency, having people actually see what's going on there. That would be pretty good. Um, another thing that we could do is actually have some consequences for the people that got us into all of this trouble related to all of these things that we've talked about related, you know, COVID, Russia, big tech, all of the stuff. Robert Malone, I've talked a bit about him a bunch. Uh, we're interviewing him this week, right? I think, or next week, next week. 
who is the you know the inventor of mRNA technology, owns more patents on mRNA technology than anybody. Uh, he's become very outspoken related to all of this about how we have to stop these people. Uh, here he is talking about what we should do when it comes to World Economic Forum type leaders. From a belief system that says that nation state is an obsolete idea and we have to have a one world government that is basically a fusion of the interests of corporations and politics, global politics. And we got to start by finding out who they are, voting them out of office, making sure they are not part of our governments. Two notable characters here in the United States are Governors Inslee and Newsom. Okay? We've got to out these people. We've got to force them to account for whether or not they're Americans or are they globalists. And if they're globalists, they got to get out. We got to get rid of them. We got to take back ownership of our country. If you believe in the Constitution, if you believe in the principles of free speech and personal autonomy, medical autonomy and autonomy at every level, other level, it's time to fight. You know, or your children are going to live in basically a techno-fascism for the rest of their natural lives. Okay, you got to understand, that is the guy who invented the mRNA technology that the WEF is now telling us they want to use to literally change your gene sequencing and do a whole bunch of other crazy stuff. But what does he say the answers are? The answers are that we should care about the nation state. We shouldn't care about one world government above all of us, right? One ring to rule the world. We should care about the, the validity of the United States of America as an entity that, that can govern itself. Now, we don't have the right people in charge right now, but that was the idea, and I think we can get back to it. And by the way, the people in France can govern themselves as they wish, and the people in Japan can govern themselves as they see wish. He also talks, of course, about individual autonomy and medical autonomy and everything else. So what really is he pushing against? Well, let's flash back to the World Economic Forum. This is in 2018. Uh, here is Klaus Schwab discussing their globalist agenda, uh, and then we're gonna flash to, you may remember, a certain orange man who actually is defending the United States in a way that these people don't like very much. I believe that today we need to strike the right balance between the necessary rebuilding of national social contacts and at the same time strengthening our multilateral system. To I'm here today to represent the interests of the American people. The world is witnessing the resurgence of a strong and prosperous America. I'm here to deliver a simple message. There has never been a better time to hire, to build, to invest, and to grow in the United States. Regulation is stealth taxation. The U.S., like many other countries, unelected bureaucrats, and we have, believe me, we have them all over the place, and they've imposed crushing and anti-business and anti-worker regulations on our citizens with no vote, no legislative debate, and no real accountability. In America, those days are over. As president, the United States, I will always protect the interests of our country, our companies, and our workers. You really 
So that's 2018, middle of Trump's presidency. Schwab talks about the multilateral system. What he means is that the world governments should all be coordinating together, and it's his buddies who should all come up with the ideas that everybody should abide by. And then Trump gets on the same freaking stage with him and says, I am here for the American people, and America's gonna lead again. Now, it's unfortunate because Trump ain't president anymore, and this mentally muddled buffoon that we've got in charge obviously does not care about America first or even America second or third. I'm not sure what he cares about. Something about his Corvette, I guess, mainly. Uh, but the ideas that Donald Trump talked about right there and that he went to the World Economic Forum to push back against literally everyone there. It's not the most fun thing to do, probably. You know, you walk into a giant conference and everyone there hates you because they know you're the one guy who's gonna stand up for his country. But you know what? Trump did that. And although the postmortem on Trump is obviously he lost the last election and who knows what will happen after that, uh, and who, or subsequently, who knows what will happen going forward, uh, the ideas that he talked about, about individual sovereignty and people controlling their own borders and everything else, that actually started getting exported. Uh, you may remember this video from a couple months ago. This is newly elected Italian Prime Minister Giorgia Maloney giving an incredible acceptance speech when uh, she was voted in as Prime Minister. Take a look. Potrei farne tante altre di queste domande. A monte c'è quella che ci facciamo oggi, perché la famiglia è un nemico? Perché la famiglia fa così paura? C'è una risposta unica per tutte queste domande. Perché ci definisce, perché è la nostra identità. Perché tutto quello che ci definisce in questo tempo è un nemico. Per chi vorrebbe che non avessimo più un'identità e che, fossero, che fossimo solamente schiavi, consumatori perfetti. E allora è sotto attacco l'identità nazionale, è sotto attacco l'identità religiosa, è sotto attacco l'identità di genere, è sotto attacco l'identità familiare. Non devo potermi definire italiana, cristiana, donna, madre, no. Io devo essere cittadino X, genere X, genitore 1, genitore 2, devo essere un numero. Perché quando sarò solamente un numero, quando non avrò più un'identità, quando non avrò più radici, beh allora sarò lo schiavo perfetto in balia della grande speculazione finanziaria. Il consumatore perfetto. That's the spirit. That's the spirit. She, as the prime minister, the incoming now prime minister of Italy, she is allowed to decide what's right for the people of Italy. And it has nothing to do with what Klaus Schwab and his friends want, okay? That she cares about God and family and country and how she defines herself. They're always talking about how they can define you. What she's talking about there is how you can define you. I think it's what we're talking about here. Pretty good. She continued just a little bit more uh, talking about nationalism and defending individual freedom. E questa è la ragione per la quale Questa è la ragione per la quale oggi noi facciamo tanta paura. Questa è la ragione per la quale oggi questo appuntamento fa tanta paura. Perché noi non vogliamo essere dei numeri, noi siamo qui per dire che noi non siamo dei numeri, noi difenderemo il valore della persona umana di ogni singola persona umana, perché ognuno di noi ha un codice genetico unico e irripetibile. E questo piaccia o no a del sacro. Lo difenderemo, difenderemo Dio, la patria e la famiglia, che fanno tanto schifo a qualcuno. Lo faremo per difendere la nostra libertà, perché noi non saremo mai schiavi e semplici consumatori in balia della speculazione finanziaria. Ecco la nostra missione, ecco perché oggi sono venuta qui. Scriveva... Chesterton, ormai più di un secolo fa, vediamo se, lo, se ve lo trovo, fuochi verranno attizzati per dimostrare che 2 più 2 fa 4, spade verranno sguainate 
per dimostrare che le foglie sono verdi in estate. Quel tempo è arrivato, signori. Siamo pronti. Grazie. Grazie, indeed. That is the spirit that we need. She knows why she's there. And by the way, when uh, she got elected, you may remember the headlines. We showed a whole bunch of them here. She's the fascist. The far right has come to Italy. Does that seem kind of familiar? The type of stuff they used to say about Donald Trump for defending his country, for defending the American way of life, for defending ultimately the individual. The irony, of course, is that Donald Trump and Maloney right there, defending the idea of the individual, you're not, when you truly defend the individual, you not only defend the individual in your country, you defend the rights of individuals in other countries. These people love the collective. They love state power or corporate power or just power power. They love that and they love the collective because then no one's individuality matters. And that is what they are attacking more than anything else. But guys, we're about to wrap this thing up. This is officially our longest show ever. I'm kind of in the mood for Italian for lunch after that. Maybe we'll do a little, a little pesto pasta, something. Um, how do we know it's working? Well, because I'm gonna flash you back to where we were 70 minutes ago. Klaus Schwab opened the World Economic Forum sweating. He is nervous because people are pushing back. These people do not, um, they do not feel that people like them because people do not like them. Because for as long as we have a voice, as long as I have a voice and you have a voice and we have some semblance of a free internet, we can expose them, we can talk about what they're trying to do, we can vote in better people, we can live in better communities and all of that good stuff. And Klaus Schwab's worried about that. So here's just a portion of him saying that right from the beginning that we played. We need to overcome the most critical fragmentation. And the most critical fragmentation is between those who take a constructive attitude and those who are just bystanders, observers, and even go into the negative, critical, and confrontational attitude. Yeah, dude, when it comes to you, I go into the negative and the critical attitude. I don't like you. I am never gonna live under you. Nobody watching this is gonna, and we're gonna fight you to the end. Ladies and gentlemen, this is our longest show in the history of the Rubin Report. I think we did a fine job. Do we have gold stickers somewhere? I'm gonna pin a gold sticker on everybody here today. Uh, if you have not subscribed, please do at rumble.com slash Rubin Report. Uh, we are going to do a live post-game show, which we're doing every day right now at rubinreport.locals.com. That's where I unbutton the jacket. I relax. People ask questions, comment if I made uh, any mistakes. We do some live corrections, a whole bunch more. Uh, we're going to do that in just a moment. We got a cold close. Oh, this cold close. We, I wanted to put this into the show. We could have. I thought it was a little gratuitous because we were doing heavy lifting during the show today. But just watch, watch this. I normally don't tease the cold close. So Joe Biden, he's doing the the MLK Day stuff yesterday, and he sings happy birthday to, I think it's uh, MLK's like great granddaughter or something like that. And uh, yeah, he forgets her name. Okay, see ya. But congratulations today, the honorees, uh, including your wife, uh, who I understand, uh, is it birthday today? Well, look, my wife has a rule in her family. When somebody's birthday, sing happy birthday. You ready? Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Valley.
Happy birthday to you. Well, it's hell turning 30, but... Thanks for tuning in to The Rubin Report. You can watch the show live every weekday at 11 a.m. Eastern and 8 a.m. Pacific on Rumble, Locals, and YouTube. Don't forget to rate, review, share, and subscribe to this podcast. And you can join me for the post-game wrap-up every day after the show at rubinreport.locals.com.